Happy Easter Living Hope. Good to see everybody. That was great. Man, worship team, as usual, knocked it out of the park. That was great. Great job. So uh, before I kind of dive in, I just want to say a quick thank you to all the volunteers at all the parks. Bill was only at one park. I actually got to uh, float around to all of them at one point or another, and it was awesome just seeing all of you out there serving and just just smiling and, and just loving this community. And it was, it was just fantastic. I loved it so much. And um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. I mean, you guys make our church really beautiful. And, um, and, and it's just, I feel like, you know, years ago when we kind of first started doing this, it was a dream that we would be a church that wasn't just a church that got together on Sundays, but a church that was a, a, a blessing to this community in a way that the, that the community would notice if we went missing. And I feel like that dream's been realized in big ways in this church. And, and so thank you just for stepping up the way that you do. And I, I also want to say thank you to uh, Janine for spearheading the event. She did such a great job right back there. Really, really, really great job. So I, several months ago, I, I kind of approached her with this idea of, of uh, you know, doing the parks thing instead of the parking lot thing. And um, and, and, and by the way, that's, that's what I do when I'm not up here on Sunday morning. That's what I do during the week is I come up with really dumb ideas and then, and then just tell people to make it happen. That's, that's what I do. And, and she stepped up to the plate and just knocked it out of the park. It was really, really great. And, and, and that's a difficult, it's hard to understate the difficulty of that task because we had something that had become a bit of a tradition out here in the parking lot and that the community had come to expect and love and then to transition that to something really confusing which was you know three parks all at the same time it was it was i can imagine it was very confusing to the community and uh but i thought she just pulled it off seamlessly and it was it was really great so thank you janine for for all of that that was really great Janine has her spring break this week, so she gets some rest. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So uh, we're going to go ahead and, and, and dive into this. Um, I, do, I do love Easter, man. It's just, it's just fantastic, and I get so excited about it. Um, I, I love preaching on Easter. I just love being with you all, worshiping on Easter. It's, it, it's, it's just great. Um, but we're going to kind of continue in this series that we've been in for the last several weeks, which we've been, we've been working through uh, Paul's l little letter that we call 1 Thessalonians. And so if you're like, ah, I'm getting in on the middle of something here, don't worry, you'll, you'll catch up, you'll be fine. And um, it's just this little letter that he wrote to a church that he started in a city uh, in Greece called Thessalonica. And uh, the way this went down was he started this little church and Man, it started going gangbusters and growing uh, spiritually. Like these people were like just amazing, growing in their faith the way that they were, and really just powerful move of the Holy Spirit there in Thessalonica. And then the persecution started to set in from the government officials, and it got really uh, sketchy for a while to the point that Paul's life was threatened. They were coming; the officials were coming after him to to uh, to take his life, basically. And the church said, "You got to get out of get out of the city." You know, so far they're just putting us in jail, but they want to take your life. You need to get out of the city. And so he flees for his life in the middle of the night, leaves behind this church that he loves so much, and, uh, and goes off to start churches in other places. But he's been hearing reports from them that, you know, that things are still going really well, even though the persecution has gotten worse. 
And so he takes some time to write a letter back to them, just say how much he misses them and how proud he is of them and, and all of that. And, and he answers uh, a que- some questions that they've had, kind of theological questions that they've had, and that's kind of what we're diving into today. I mean, the, the kind of topic that I want to sit on this morning is this idea of, um, of hope or hopelessness. I don't know about you. Actually, I, I kind of do know about you because uh, we're all pretty much the same. And we've all been through periods of hopelessness in our life. Every single person in this room probably has been through a stretch where, uh, I mean, you may be in the middle of it right now, where you just feel hopeless. And it could be hopelessness around uh, a health issue, somebody in your family maybe recently passing away. It could be a hopelessness that sets in because of career issues or money issues or a relationship that's falling apart in your life right now. It could be hopelessness that that kind of hits you because of just depression or anxiety or any number of things that can kind of hit you and just kind of leave you feeling punched in the gut and breathless. Um, but that hopelessness is a is a real thing, and and it's something, and it didn't even have to be a big thing. We experience small things, you know, small issues of hopelessness in our life on a day to day basis. One of my most hopeless things that I experience from, from time to time is. I, I love, like really, really love Chick-fil-A. Like, it is so good. I love those little breaded nuggets. I love the waffle fries. I love the, the, uh, the uh, frosted lemonade. I, I dream about the frosted lemonade. It is the best. And those big chocolate chip cookies. I love Chick-fil-A. And sometimes I, the craving gets so much that I'm like, Burger King's not going to do it. McDonald's is going to do it. I got to get out of Dixon. I need to go get me some Chick-fil-A, and I drive all the way there, and I pull up, and it's like, dang it, it's Sunday. Ah, it's the worst. It is the worst. I know they're a Christian company, but it's so unchristian to do that to me. It's so, it's so wrong. Like, that's going to be the best thing about heaven is that Chick-fil-A will finally be open on Sunday, I think. So that's going to be good. Um, another hopeless thing is if you are a uh, Niners fan in January, very hopeless. Very, it's a hopeless, hopeless feeling to be a Niners fan in January. Also in August and September, October, November, December, it's pretty hopeless too. Um, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty rough. Also, if you're an actor or an actress and you have got your dream job and you've been cast on, to be a part of the cast of The Walking Dead... And you find out that your character has the moral high ground and is kind of the moral compass for everybody on the show, you've got about three episodes left. They're very hopeless. <laughs> or if you've been cast with Star Trek and they hand you a red shirt, it's not going to go well for you. <laughs> very hopeless. Start saving your paychecks, right? So now we, we do. We experience these little, little hopeless things. But, but there are things that hit us in our life that it's hard to joke about, right? I mean, you, we do go through some significant enough events in our life that it's hard to have a sense of humor about it because it has just left us reeling, reeling. And I've walked through, you know, as your pastor, with many of you, I've walked through a lot of those circumstances with you, been sitting across the table, you know, from you and sharing tears and trying to inspire a little bit of hope and, and uh, you know, point you to Christ. But it's when those things happen, it's, it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. You guys have heard me share before that um, I tend to, around October, sometime in the fall, I tend to go through a little seasonal depression. It's usually two or three weeks long, just me kind of feeling a little blue. 
and uh, and it and it but it happens almost every year and um, and I've learned kind of over the years to expect it and to prepare for it. So about August, I start taking a deep dive into scripture. I'm reading scripture two, three, four hours a day just to kind of like build up my defenses against that, you know, th- those feelings and, and, and that sort of thing. And so I do that, but it'll, it'll hit and it usually lasts. Well, about four or five years ago, I honestly went through, uh, hands down, the darkest season of my life, darkest season of my life. Um, uh, that, that little seasonable, seasonable, seasonal, uh, depression extended for about a year. And, um, and I, I felt very hopeless, very hopeless. It just felt like it was never, now I kept telling myself, the thing that kind of helped me kind of put one foot in front of the other and keep, just kind of keep going was I just daily would remind myself that Jeff, God's brought you through this before. There's going to be an end to this. He's going to bring, he's going to bring you through again. And even though I wasn't feeling it or seeing that end in sight, I just kind of kept telling myself that and, uh, and so, you know, day by day, but it got, it got dark. I mean, really, really dark. I know, you know, you may not like to think about, you know, uh, maybe your pastor going through that level of darkness, but I, I, I've said this before that I wasn't necessarily suicidal, but I, you know, there's, there are a few characters in the Bible that Elijah, even the apostle Paul, where the Bible says that they despaired their own life. Things got so rough that they despaired their own life, and and I I feel like that's where I was. Again, I wasn't I wasn't interested necessarily in taking my life, but if death would have come, I would have welcomed it. It was that dark. And um, after about a year of being that, I I remember you know just days where I would you know go home after work and pull into the garage and just couldn't even get out of the car. I'm just sitting in the car crying because I'm like, I don't even think I can muster up what my family needs me to be for them right now. I, I, like just to even go through that door and try to be husband, try to be dad. It was just, it was brutal. And I know my family could feel it. Um, and, uh, and they were very patient with me, right? They were, they honestly were very patient with me. Um, after about a year of that, something, a switch finally went off, and I started to feel myself come out of that, as I knew I eventually would. And the thing that brought me out of that time was exactly what we're going to talk about today. Because it turns out what I, what I really, in my heart, and this is just me, this is, I'm not, I can't prescribe what happened to me for you. We all have different situations that we're going through. Your situation's different than mine. But, but for me, what I discovered that I needed turned, turned out to be a little bit of theology. And when I say a little bit of theology, I mean I needed a strong reminder of who God was. And, and this passage is a really great example of exactly that. And so I want to kind of dive into this and let's look at the hope that Paul points us to that's right here in these passages. Now, before I, I, I read, just to kind of tell you where he's at. The, the, the question that he's responding to um, is he's heard that they've had questions about death and about Christ returning. And he wants to kind of set the record straight on some issue and, issues, and that's why he's... So what, what was happening in this church is that um, they're brand new Christians in the first century, just, just a couple of decades after Christ was, you know, 
physically walking around here on earth and that sort of thing. And they've been taught about his life. They've been taught about the crucifixion. They've been taught about the resurrection. Some, it could be very, very, very possible that members of this church, a few of the members of this church might have actually been witnesses to the resurrection, have actually seen Christ walking around after he had died, right? So that's the time frame of history we're talking about. People, there were, you know, you could go to churches and hear people tell stories of, I remember when Jesus taught, I was there. I remember when he broke the bread and the, lo- the loaves and the fishes and he multiplied. I remember the darkness that hit on when he was crucified. I, I remember feeling hopeless as if, you know, the hope for this world had died and what do we do now? And then I saw him. You would go to church and hear people tell these firsthand accounts. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the history, time period of history that we're in, right? So imagine like me telling you all, standing, standing up here preaching, whatever, telling you, hey, I'm leaving, but don't worry, I'll be back. Like, my guess is you're, like the frame of mind you're going to be in because you've just seen me with your own eyes speak to you leave and tell you I'm going to be back, your frame of mind is, yeah, I bet I'm getting ready to see that guy again. Uh, Maybe next Sunday if I come back, I'll see him then. But surely, I mean, this is a guy I've physically seen. He told me he's going to be back. So I'm guessing before I die, I'll I'll probably see him return and come back again, right? And this is the frame of mind that this early church is in. They've been told Christ who is just in a, within a couple decades of, of where they are, has, has, is coming back. And so they're all expecting, yeah, we're going to live for him, we're going to be faithful, because he's returning to establish his kingdom here on earth, and we're going to be a part of that kingdom, and we can't wait. And they are anxiously awaiting the day within their own lifetimes that he's going to return. Now, we're 2,000 years removed, and we're more comfortable with the idea of that he may not come back in our lifetime. He may. The Bible says he might. We should be ready, but maybe not could be generations later. We have no idea. And we've got, but they weren't comfortable with that idea. They were all in the frame of mind of he's coming back and we'll see him come back. And then what happened is that persecution began to hit. Many of their brothers and sisters that were so faithful to follow Jesus were losing their lives for their faith. And they were like, so what happens to these guys? Like Christ is going to come back and establish his kingdom. He's going to return and but these guys have already died, and, and they, but they were so faithful to what happens to them. Do they just stay in the ground and they don't get to experience anything? And so they had all these, these kind of questions about death and what happens. And so Paul's setting all that straight. So this is what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting with verse 13. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And when he's talking about asleep, he means dead, right? About those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died, and say it with me, rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, they're all going to be all right. In fact, they're going to get to see Jesus first. He'll take them first, and then we'll join in. And, and, but everybody who's been faithful to Christ, who's followed Christ, whether they're dead or alive, they're all going to be there. It's all going to be fine. Don't worry, right? And then he goes on verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So very hopeful, very encouraging that we have this future hope through faith in Jesus Christ and through the resurrection and all of that kind of stuff. It's very, very hopeful. Now, there's a little bit of misconception around this, this last section here where uh, we, ha- we read passages like this and we get this uh, idea that like when Christ returns, what's going to happen is, you know, there's going to be the trumpet blowing. There's going to be all this stuff, you know, fanfare that happens. And then, you know, whoop, you know disembodied spirits, we're just going to all rise and go to heaven, fly off to heaven, Right. And that's really not what Paul is describing in this passage. What Paul is describing, he's kind of painting an image that they would have been very familiar with. So, for instance, like I've lived in a few different cities in my life where we had presidential visits. In fact, when I was in the Army uh, down in Washington, D.C., I got to meet uh, President Clinton on a couple of different occasions. And so when the president comes to town, there's a lot of preparation that takes place, right? They, are, they get everything clean and spotless. They, you know, uh, you know, they make sure the, cle- uh, the, the streets are clean and the thoroughfares are cleared and, and uh, you know, all kinds of stuff, that, preparation that goes into place. So back in their day, if the emperor of Rome was coming to your city, you didn't just, like the city didn't just kind of hang back within the city walls and go, when's he going to be here, right? Like, when's he going to get here? Uh, well, we're here, we're ready for him, we've got everything prepared, dinner's ready, when's the emperor going to get here, right? That's not what they did. What they would do is that they would go outside the city for miles down the road and be ready to greet him as he approached the city. And they would, I mean, they would send out soldiers, they would send out dancers, they would send out, you know, musicians and all kinds of stuff to greet the emperor as he was approaching the city. And when he finally got to them, they would usher him in almost like a parade into the city, just celebrating him in the same way that they did last week when we talked about Palm Sunday, where they were, you know, the way they ushered Jesus into Jerusalem with with a song and waving the palm branch. This is what they would do for the emperor. And Paul here is painting this image of when Christ returns, when your king returns, we will go out to meet him and greet him and celebrate him and usher him back here to earth to set up his kingdom here on earth. It's not us flying away to the sweet by and by. It's us greeting him and bringing him back and his kingdom will finally and fully be established as he promised here on earth. It's really beautiful and a picture that, again, that they would have been very familiar with. And so we do have this, this future hope to look forward to of, of God setting everything right, of this world finally looking like the kingdom of God that Jesus taught us about, of all of this stuff that we have to look forward to, and it's all made possible through the resurrection. Now, when it comes to the resurrection, it's impossible to understate the, the resurrection, it's impossible for, for us not to build it up, for, for us to build it up too big. You can't build up the resurrection too big. It is the most significant event in human history carried out by the most significant man who ever lived. It is like all of the past and the future, everything points back to that man, that event. It is why we do, Paul said it in one of his letters, he said, if, if there is no resurrection, then we, Christians, we Christians of all people are to be most pitied if there's no resurrection. Pity us if this is all a lie, because what a waste of our lives. What a, you know, what a, he's like, but no, because of the resurrection, everything 
is different. It is the most significant thing about us as Christ followers. It's why we do what we do. It's why we gather here and we worship. It's, why we, it's even why we go out into the parks in our community and do something as silly and stupid as an Easter egg hunt. It's, you're like, well, what does that have to do anything with Jesus? And it doesn't really have anything to do with Jesus other than when we go out and we make a day of joy and fun and stuff like that for our community. What I love most about going to all the different parks is, is just kind of hanging out in the parks and seeing people not drive up, but walk up out of their, out of their front doors, out of, from around the community, just walking up from the, the neighborhoods into the park. And, you know, they'd come in with families and children, and it was just amazing. But what I know about that and what you know about that is because we know people and we've seen how people are is that on the other side of that front door, when those families, oftentimes, many of them were still in their, their homes, there was, there was arguing and fighting. There was ugliness. There were marriages on the brink of, uh, of falling apart. There were kids that were feeling insecure and maybe even blaming themselves for things that were going on in their family. There was all this negativity and stuff that happens in a lot of homes, and they, they crossed the fre- threshold of that front door, and they head into a park, and for a couple hours, they were able to forget all of that and experience something really happy and really beautiful. Because that's kingdom work. That's, that's bringing about God's kingdom here on earth. When we allow, give people an escape from the things that are binding them up and holding them back, and we allow them to experience something really beautiful and really joyful, for even if it's just for a few hours, that is beautiful, beautiful kingdom work. And it's worthwhile. It's worth doing. Amen? It really is. The resurrection is the most significant thing. Now, this is the big point I want to draw out today, and, and we can go ahead and put it up there. The resurrection means you can hope again. This is what it boils down to, at least for today. The resurrection means you can hope again. All of us in the room that might be experiencing some level of hopelessness or have experienced some level of hopelessness or you feel it kind of on the horizon headed towards you and you're dreading it, the resurrection means you don't have to stay stuck in that hopelessness. You can hope again. Now, so for those of you in the room who are maybe skeptics or seekers, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of investigating faith. You're not sure if you want to be a person of faith. You see some things that are kind of attractive to it, about it to you, but you're just not sure. Maybe you've got questions or doubts or, you know, hang up with the way you've been treated by other Christians or, you know, it could be any number of things that people get hung up on, right? Like for those of you who are kind of still on the outside of faith looking in, trying to figure out if this is for you, I just want to tell you that when it comes to that, like fresh hope is available to you. Fresh hope, and it all depends on what you do with the resurrection. So we have this hope that is offered to all of humankind, all of humanity that's kind of sitting back going, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than this. There's got to, like I'm trying to do life my way, and I'm struggling, and I can't get it figured out, and I'm like, what, whatever, there's got to be more, and we have a Savior who stands before us and says, there absolutely is more. And the, the beautiful thing that Christ does for those of us who are still outside the faith, trying to figure out if we want to be a part of the faith, is that we, most of us have this kind of impression of faith that, you know, well, if I start following Jesus, then he's going to make my life better. That's not what Jesus does, actually. Now, your life might get, you know, better. That, that, that's entirely possible, even probable, right? But what Jesus does, he doesn't take your life and improve your life. 
you've bought into the lie that you're living a life at all. And the reality is that you're actually dead, and he is in the business of raising dead people to life. To life. You're going to experience life for the first time like you've never experienced it before. He is in the business of taking dead people and raising them to life. And that is all through the power and the hope that lies in the resurrection. And so I, I was talking to a friend uh, a week or so ago, and this is a guy, a good friend of mine who's, who's um, uh, you know, kind of for years uh, claimed to be a, an atheist, and, and uh, even though he's very attracted to church and, and uh, church people, he's got family that are Christians and that sort of thing, but, but you know, personally just kind of a skeptic. And, uh, but he is really, at this point, he's super close to kind of becoming a person of faith. I mean, he's really, really close. And we were having lunch and kind of talking through that. And, but, you know, he's an intellectual guy, and he needs to kind of process some of the questions and the doubts and things that he has. He needs some satisfactory answers to the things that he's still hung up on. And so I was just telling him, I said, man, here's the deal. You're going to find, I have no doubt, you're going to find satisfactory answers to every question you have. I really believe that. And just to all of you in the room, if there's any of you that are sitting here that you're like, um, you know, I've still got some things I'm, I, I need to answer to before I can commit to this. I'll tell you the same thing. You will find, if you go searching, if you talk to the right people, you will find satisfactory answers to all of your doubts, to all of your questions. I have no doubt. And, and that doesn't mean, you know, me sitting down with you and trying to finagle things weird and telling you, well, if you know, if you put some dinosaurs on the ark, then it all begins to make sense. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying you'll find satisfactory answers to everything. And I told him, I said, it's going to boil down to what are you going to do with the resurrection? What are you going to do with Jesus? Because, and you guys have heard me say this before, if Jesus really is who he says he is, if the resurrection really happened, if that dude actually got himself up out of the grave, and the answer to the resurrection is yes, then the answer to every other question is yes. Because you can't pretend that didn't happen. You just can't. You can't pretend. Like if Jesus is who he said he is and the resurrection really happened, you can't pretend. You can't be like, well, I, I believe Jesus is God and I believe the resurrection happened, but I don't know. Like who does that? Like if, you, if you're there, then all the other questions are, they, all the other answers are yes too. It all begins to, but it, you have to at some point kind of wrestle with the resurrection. And we love to wrestle with people when it comes to that sort of stuff. So definitely do that, all right? Now, let's say you're not a seeker. Maybe you're, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you're, you're just weary. You're tired, which is all of us, right? We're all tired. And there's a lot of kind of weary travelers out there in this faith. And it makes sense because life in Christ is sometimes difficult. It just is. And anybody who tells you that life in Christ is easy is trying to sell you something. It's because it is, well, Jesus said, you know, if he said, follow me, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But pay attention to what he was saying there. He didn't say there's no yoke or no burden. He just said his is a little easier and a little bit lighter. There's still a burden, but it's an easier burden. And sometimes this burden begins to weigh on us. This life in Christ begins to weigh on us because Here's the deal. If you're really, as a follower of Christ, living your life on mission, in other words, out there trying to rescue people from, from the death and sin that they're trapped in, trying to help them out of the, the predicaments that they found themselves in, when you get involved with people's lives, it is emotionally, mentally, sometimes even physically draining. 
It is absolutely draining. But we do it. Why? Because we love the Lord and we love people. And so we, we're totally, so we, we, you know, we use a lot of language like Paul used in Scripture where we'll say, well, you know, Jesus, Jesus sacrificed everything for us. And, uh, and we're called to be like Jesus. So if it means me sacrificing, then I'm going to do that. I'm gonna, and you do that with some joy and some, the best attitude you can at times. And, and, and so you kind of like, well, you know, Paul said I have to take up my cross. So I'm going to take up my cross. And this is just what it looks like. And it's not going to be easy, but, but it's the right thing to do. So I'm going to do it. And, and so with, with as much joy as we can muster up, we try to do the, live those cross-shaped lives that we've been called to live, these sacrificial lives that we've been called to live, right? And we do that. But, but sometimes, some, for some of you, you Christians, you, you put on this just kind of sour attitude that is unappealing to everybody around you, everybody around you, and you're just like, oh, you know, I'm just trying to be like Jesus, and you're just like, oh, but everything, you know, this is bad, and this is bad, and, and we're so quick to embrace that cross-shaped life, but, but if, here, being like Jesus is more than just embracing the cross-shaped life. He has also called us to the resurrection-shaped life as well. That there should be joy in what we do. That there is life, like all caps shouting at you, life in Jesus Christ. Life. And that is to be embraced and sought after. And that is a road worth going down with joy. That's one of the reasons I love the example of these early Christians so much is because, I mean, they had it rough. They had it way rougher than we have it as, you know, Free Christians in America living out our faith. They had it so much rougher. But when they were experiencing the worst situations that many of us couldn't even possibly imagine, they didn't go, woe is me. They didn't get all down and, oh, this is just my cross to bear, I guess, and, you know, whatever. And they didn't do that. Instead, what they do... Now, again, like Paul in that story we told her where he's fleeing the city in the middle of the night, it's not like they ran towards persecution necessarily. They were trying to avoid it most of the time, meeting in secret and all that kind of stuff. But when they saw it coming towards them and they knew it was unavoidable, when they knew they were going to be, suffer for the cause of Christ, rather than getting into the, the depression and the pity party and everything else, what they did was joy ignited in their lives all of a sudden. And they actually approached it with this crazy, insane, like doesn't make any sense level of joy where they're like, it's almost like they won the lottery. Like I've been chosen. I've been selected. I have been selected to be like Jesus. I get to suffer like him. Glory be to God. I get to follow in his footsteps to the cross and suffer the way he suffered. How, who am I to even be considered to be able to live a life similar to Christ, and they would, just, they would just approach it with joy. And we, even as weary travelers in this faith, can experience some level of joy even in the worst of situations in our life. If we kind of refix our eyes back to the, crucifix, or the resurrection, back to the resurrection. Now, <coughs> pardon me. Let me talk to the, the last group of you that I want to talk to this morning. And that's those that are being attacked right now. Uh, those who are going through situations that maybe have you feeling the way I was, said I was feeling four or five years ago. Hopeless. Um, and may, like I said, it could be because of relationship issues. It could be because of mental health issues. It could be because of financial problems. I mean, there's not, what's more hopeless than, you know, $3 in your bank account and $6,000 worth of bills to pay, right? It's, it's, it's the worst. 
But whatever the reason for your, dark, your period of darkness right now and your hopelessness that you might be feeling right now. Okay, this is what I know about you if you're going through that. You may not know it you because you can't see it yourself. Everybody else around you sees it, and you'll be able to see it once you're through it. But it's hard to see it when you're in it. And that is that you are so deep inside your head that you can't see reality. You're so deep into your own thoughts and your own emotions and your own circumstances and your own depression and your own everything. And I get it. I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. I'm not saying that's, uh, uh, you know, that there's some sort of fault with you for being that way. It's a natural part of going through those dark times. I, I get it. But what happened to me during that time and what, what God ultimately used to lift me up out of the darkest period of my life was through just kind of the, the scripture I was reading and some other books that I was reading, I got reminded of who God is and what he's doing in a really powerful way. It's really easy for us to kind of look back on the Bible and look back on the, you know, the life of Christ or the crucifixion or whatever and go, man, God was up to some stuff back then. Like He was active and he was, he had, he was working out a plan and, man, thank God he worked out that plan for us. And, you know, it's really kind of, we look back at that stuff. And what I had forgotten and what these you know, books that I was reading and stuff helped me remember was God being active and God being at work in this world is not something that's in the past. It's something that's happening right now. Right now, as you, where we sit, when we sit in this room, in this time, in this place, God is actively working a plan right now to rescue all of creation and rescue all of us. That is all in place and working forward right now. And, and I, God was able to help me kind of get outside of my own head because I was stuck there too. And kind of he, for a, a moment, he gave me kind of this God's eye view again of what he was doing. And he reminded me in this really beautiful way that I can hope because he's still in control. He's still on the throne. He is still, he is not done yet. Like it didn't finish at the cross. It didn't finish at the resurrection, his plans. In fact, I like to look at it this way, that, that at, the, at, at the crucifixion, his one plan finished, and at the resurrection, his, his, another plan launched. And we are in the middle of that plan right now, where he is bringing about his kingdom in this world. And there's coming a day when all things will be set right. And it's, it's being set right even now as we speak. It'll be finished one day, but we are in this kingdom-building project that God is in, active in right now, that Jesus taught us about and told us about and told us what it would look like to love as, as a people who have never loved before, what it looks like when you love with the love of Christ people who don't deserve it and aren't expecting it, when you take that love into your church and into your community and all around the world, the kind of transformational difference it will make. And it is a beautiful thing that we are absolutely involved in right now. God is up to that right now. God is not some old God, tired God that did his thing 2,000 years ago and we're just kind of sitting back, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for him to start it back up again. That's not the way this works. He is doing it right now and he invites us to be a part of it. And so for those of you who are being attacked and those of you who are stuck and you feel no hope in your life 
at all. Know that there is hope through the resurrection. And he not only that, he invites you into this resurrection life and he asks you to be a part of what he's doing. He has selected you to bring about his kingdom in this world in a tangible way that you can't even imagine. And he'll get a hold of your life and he'll use you in ways to transform this world to all part of his plan. And it is beautiful. There is hope. This, this world, this life, this thing that's going on, it's not just about you. You are a part of God's bigger plan, and he has work for you to do. He has work for you to do. We need to get involved in that. Get involved in that. The reason you can hope is because Jesus got up, because he conquered sin and death. And it has no hold on us anymore. I don't fear death. I'm not looking for it, but I don't fear it. One of my favorite quotes that I read, a, um, <laughs> I'm totally rude in the sermon right now. I read this uh, presidential biography of, of President Garfield. He has this great quote where he says, I don't go looking for war, but if the bringer comes knocking on my door, he'll find me at home. <laughs> that is the best that is the best. Here, I'm not looking for death, but if it comes knocking on my door, you'll find me at home. I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you. Why? Because Jesus got up, and I am immune to that now. Death has no power over me. Death has no control over me. All it's going to do is set me free to what the, the bigger, more beautiful life that Christ has in store for me. Hallelujah. That's it. That's it. We can hope again. Now, it's really easy for me to get up here and raise my voice, and I don't want to minimize what anybody's going through in the room right now. I know the darkness, and I know what it feels like. I don't want to make it out like it's just easy, like get over it, because it's not. I get it. It's not that easy. But what I can tell you is, remind yourself this morning. Allow the Holy Spirit right now in this room to remind your heart this morning God is still in control. He has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten you. He has plan and purpose for you if you'll seek him out. He has a plan and a purpose for you. It's not some random thing. It's the same plan and purpose that all of us are involved in. We're all, we've been designed and called out and lifted up and resurrected to bring about his kingdom. There will be a day all those tears in all of those garages will be wiped away. Be a day. All that death and all that sickness, it's not, it's not going to exist anymore. There'll be a day. And all that abuse, all that injustice that we hear about every stinking day on the news, it'll all be set right. It'll all be set right. Justice will be the name of the day. And that's what we're aiming at. And that's what God is working right now. Right now. Don't let yourself get so deep inside your head that you lose sight of the bigger picture. Because it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Beautiful. Like, if, <laughs> like imagine some mural, some huge mural just unbelievably beautiful. But imagine like in that mural, like you walk up to see that mural and you get like this close to it. 
And you're like, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand all the hype. Like, I'm here. I'm practically touching it. <laughs> that's, what we, that's what we do. It's so dumb, right? That's what we do. Like, take a step back and get a sense of what God is doing and go, I see, okay, I see it now, and it is beautiful, and I want that too. And maybe your part of it is like that. But don't get so trapped into that, so trapped inside your head that you lose sight of the beautiful God that is alive and active and still bringing about his plan to fruition in this world today. Amen? Amen. Amen. You guys are lucky because you're third service and I preached longer. So let's pray. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's pray. Pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus, you teach us to pray in that prayer um, to our Father that hallowed or holy is your name. Jesus, your name is holy because of the life that you live, because of the divinity set aside it to put on human flesh and come and walk amongst us and serve us. Your name is holy because of the words that you taught us and the life that you gave us an example to live. Your name is holy because of the way you boldly went to your sac the sacrifice of your death for us. Your uh, sacrificing your life for us. Your name is holy because you didn't stay dead because you raised yourself from the grave. Your name is holy because only your name is holy. Only you deserve our praise. And so we hallow your name this morning. We declare your name to the nations to the best of our ability. We ask you to glorify yourself. And God, for those of us in the room that are maybe struggling to find hope right now, we thank you for your resurrection. We thank you that you've called us to live resurrection-shaped lives. So God, help us to take a few steps back and see what you're doing, find our place, allow you to reveal our place in that plan that you're bringing about. God, we just commit ourselves to you one more time, and we ask you to just use us the way you want to use us to bring about your kingdom. We'll follow you, we'll submit to you, and we'll give you all the glory. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. God is good, amen. Happy Easter. See everybody next week.